We have ignition sequence start. Short distance, high impact. Five, four, three, two. All engines running. Ten questions with Adam Zwar. Big names, great minds. Make yourself a cup of tea. Liftoff. We have liftoff. Welcome back to 10 Questions. Today's episode is with the actor, writer, and producer Scott Ryan, who less than five years ago was driving cabs, and now he has a billboard with his face on it on Sunset Strip in Hollywood. I know, I used to drive past it every day as he stared menacingly down at me. Scott rose to prominence in 2005 with the release of his micro-budget independent feature, The Magician, a mockumentary about a hitman called Ray Shoesmith. We'll talk about how that came into being as the show unfolds. Then, more than a decade went by before Scott and Nash Edgerton, one of the producers on The Magician, turned Ray Shoesmith's life into a TV series with Scott writing and starring in it and Nash directing. The show, called Mr. Inbetween, was picked up by FX, and since then, Scott has gone on to win plaudits all over the world for his acting and writing, including winning Actor and Logie Awards. I'm a big fan of his work, and as usual, I started off by asking him when he was most happy. I'd say the time I was happiest was when I was... uh... This might sound a bit funny, but I was living in a rooming house with uh, a bunch of, you know, <clears throat> junkies and alcoholics and all this kind of stuff when I was sort of struggling. Um, and I guess it was uh, a period there where I was, um, you know, I hadn't really made anything at that point. I hadn't made The Magician, but I just really loved writing, you know, and I'd wake up every morning and I'd think about what I was going to do that day and then I'd sit and write and, uh, you know, all day, every day. It was the same thing, you know, I was just writing and I was passionate and driven and motivated and and, um, that's probably the happiest time of my life. Uh, I think it was just before I started at at uni Um, and even at uni too, that was a good time as well, you know, um, before I made The Magician. Um, Mm. Just being there and um it was just a good time you know i was dead broke had no money um had no real sort of success at that point um but yeah it was just sort of the striving you know it's like that people say you know it's not the destination it's the journey and you kind of think up what a load of crap but really you know what a bunch of schmaltzy shit really um but uh yeah it was it was the it was the journey you would have been i'm guessing Nearing your late 20s by the time you went to RMIT? Uh, yeah, I basically, I think I'd hit 30 when I went there, yeah. And that was the screenwriting course, right? Well, no, it was just sort of it was just sort of a film and TV course, and it was only a tape course at that point. And then after two years, they turned it into a degree course. <sighs> I did four years and three. Um, so it was just a bit of everything. There was a bit of directing. There was a bit of uh, screenwriting. There was a bit of... Uh, Bit of bit of this and a bit of that, really, um, and that's where I met. I mean, I basically went there so I could meet a bunch of people who could help me make a make a feature. That was the whole point. And that feature was, of course, the magician. But first came the short film version of the magician. There was a short version before the feature version, and that started in two thousand. Gotcha. Uh, you know, you had to make a film that year, so I made that. And then the next year, you had to make another short film. And I thought, well, I don't want to make short films. I want to do a feature. And they were kind of like, ah. Yeah. I was like, yeah, anyway. 
But Scott won that battle and turned the film into a feature which swept the awards at the 2003 Melbourne Underground Film Festival. But when he didn't find a distributor for it, he sent a cut-down 30-minute version of The Magician into the 2004 St Kilda Film Festival. And that's when Nash Edgerton saw the film, encouraged him to restore it to its original feature length. And after some restructuring and fine-tuning, it was released around the country in 2005. Moving on to question two, who would Scott most like to apologise to? And why? There was a girlfriend that I that I had. I don't want to mention any names, but uh, girlfriend I had when I was about about seventeen, and I was really I was a bit of a shit, you know. Like I had issues um, that I hadn't sort of started to deal with really at that point. Majorly, um, I was a bit I was a bit of a damaged person, I guess, and still am to some degree, but you know, less so more now. But um, and yeah, I was a bit of a shit to her. So if I was going to apologise to anybody, she she would she'd be the first person to come to mind. But then again, you know, there's probably a bunch of other people as well. I think that I probably uh, should apologise to. And what is your what is your greatest regret? I don't know that I actually have any. Uh, you know, regrets. I mean, probably. You know, it's a tough one. I mean, I could say taking too much shit from people yeah interesting but then you know at the end of the day sometimes you have to um but then sometimes you don't and i suppose that's my biggest regret is not sort of standing up for myself earlier in general you know both professionally and personal you know relationships and stuff like that is kind of you know seeing red flags and just going oh yeah you know and letting people slide and letting people treat me uh, disrespectfully. I think it's something that is a bit of a show business uh, pitfall, actually. You know, um, I think we're infantilized a lot as writers, particularly. Mm. Um, and uh, we cop a lot of shit and we just go, well, I'll just put up with it now because I want to get this thing made. And, exactly. you know, yeah. And then you get, and then you end up really angry with yourself for putting up with it. Yeah, you do. But it's, you know, it's one of those things that you, you know, you kind of have to. You're put in that situation where you kind of have to do that. You have to eat a lot of shit until you get to a point where you're successful enough and you've got enough money in the bank that you can say, hey, I don't have to eat your shit no more and I ain't going to yeah. eat it no more. So yeah, help yourself. And, you know, it's a nice, you know, I kind of feel like I'm kind of there now, you know. I'm at that point where I can just say, fuck off. because. They're probably two of my favourite words in the English language. That's brilliant, mate. What will you still need to do to feel you've lived a satisfactory life? I think uh, satisfactory, I suppose, would be, uh, you know, to keep going, to keep working and to try to make stuff that, you know, I mean, this might sound a bit sort of corny, but uh, make stuff that, you know, has some impact on people's lives and perhaps helps some people, you know, that'd be nice. I mean, one of the good things about, you know, doing Mr. In-Between is the fact that, you know, I get I get a lot of, you know, messages from people who've been through stuff and, you know, there was a, there was a, there was a lady, you know, about a week or so ago, and I get this a bit from people, you know, that her mother, you know, is very sick or, and, uh, and who's since passed away, but 
you know, her and her daughter used to watch the show, you know, like uh, once a week or whatever. They'd, you know, get together and watch the show together and, you know, things like that. I've had people say to me that, you know, when the whole Bruce thing went down in season two, um, there was a guy who said, look, I hadn't spoken to my brother in like 10 years and he said, I saw that episode and I called him up, you know. So you don't think that it's going to have that effect on people and that's not why you do it ultimately. Um, you're just trying to entertain people and move people. But, you know, that that was a nice, you know, I guess a bonus thing that I wasn't aware of that, you know, and it makes you then aware that, you know, when you're writing stuff, you're kind of like, well, this is going to affect people. Um, and it does. It's an incredibly powerful medium. By the way, Bruce is Ray's brother who suffers motor neuron disease. His betrayal by Nicholas Chasm is one of the great performances on Australian TV. Now, moving on to question five, who was the person who most influenced Scott and how? I guess the person who most influenced me was a guy, a guy called Richard Liu. Uh, he's a practitioner of Chinese medicine. He's from China and he, he's been out here for, yeah, I guess, now about, over 30 years and you know i met him when i was about 20 and i had a bunch of issues you know mainly mental health kind of stuff and he really helped me a lot um and i I learned a lot about you know how to be a decent human being i guess from him you know how to be a good friend how to be you know loyal how to you know if you say you're going to do something make sure you do it you know all that kind of stuff, all that good sort of blokey stuff. Um, That's good. So I guess I guess he'd be he'd be number one. And did you meet him in a professional capacity? Did you have to go and get like herbs or anything from him, or did you just meet him? No, I had to get herbs. He, he was. I'd seen a bunch of people who couldn't really help, and uh, I get I got referred to him and went and saw him, and uh, you know I was getting treatment for about ten years. You know herbal herbal medicine every I was taking herbs every day for about 10 years. I was meditating, doing yoga, Tai Chi, no drinking, no smoking, no sex, no sugar, no, you know, like I was on a mission, you know. Not having sex is one thing, but taking herbs every day for 10 years? Yeah, mate, they're pretty bad. But what I learned was if you, uh, before you drink them, and as you're drinking them, you just say to yourself, oh, man, this is the best thing I've ever had, and you put a smile on your face, it's surprising you can kind of fool yourself into thinking that it's not so bad. Whereas if you kind of, if you kind of like, oh, this is terrible, it's going to be awful. Yeah, it is, you know. So interesting. And do you still do yoga and meditate? No, I don't really. It's something I want to get into. You know, I want to get myself a little property somewhere with a little shack on it and just sit there and write and meditate and do all that sort of stuff. So I'm actively looking for that at the moment. I'm looking for a bit of land somewhere. Um mm-hmm. So I can get back into all that good stuff and get myself sorted out. This next question is uh, pertinent to anyone who's seen episode eight of Mister In Between. Um, when was the last time you cried and why? Oh gee, oh it's probably. I think it was. Oh gee, hold on, no, no, I cried yesterday. Yeah, I cried yesterday. What gotcha? Well, it's mainly creative sort of stuff like when i'm thinking about i was thinking about a scene in uh something i'm writing at the moment and i was kind of playing it out in my head and i had some music going you know um and that kind of got me going you know that started getting the tears kind of rolling so uh you know when i'm sort of in that creative headspace and i'm 
writing and stuff, I can get, I can, I can get teary just writing something. Mm. That's a, and then that's a good indicator of okay. Well, if it's making me upset, well, chances are it's going to make other people upset. So, you know, um, yeah. So I, 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 I go for it quite a bit. And do, do you use music to write a lot? Um, I wouldn't say I use music to write a lot, but in certain circumstances, you know, I'll uh, if I think that there's going to be music in a scene, I'll I'll look for music and then play that music and then think about the scene, you know, especially with the mm. things like, uh, especially with the show, for example, with Mr. and Time, you know, if there was at the end of an episode and there was going to be, you know, some poignant moment or something, um, you know, I'd play some music and try different things and that would sort of, sort of get me in the mood to some degree. It's a, it's a good method. I've got to do it more. It helps you emotionally, like season three, episode eight, uh, when raised at the crossroads, uh, when we rocked up to shoot that, I said, uh, I said, look, I'm just going to play some music. So we set up the music so it would play in the car. So I had this really emotional, you know, a, a, a piece of music that really gets me emotional. So I basically just had that blaring out of the car while we did the scene. And um, I said to Nash, look, uh, just let me know when you're going to get the last part, when you're going to get the last shot. Just let me know. And he said, okay. And so he got a bunch of shots and he said, right, mate, this is it. This is the last one. And then I just let loose because I'd been holding it back uh, up until that point. Um, and then when he said, right, action, bang, just just let go. Um, and music can do that. Uh, you know, it does it for a lot of people, but it really has a pretty profound effect on me, um, the right piece of music at the right time. Can I ask what the music was? Yeah, it was uh, it was by Arvo Part, Arvo Part Spiegel, Spiegel im Spiegel. I think it's called. Fantastic. Yeah, it's a great piece of music. It's just very sparse. Uh, there's no uh, there's no you know lyrics or anything like that. You'd know it, I think. But put it on, mate. You'll be sobbing. <laughs> I guarantee you. <laughs> I'm going to. I'm going to after the, after this. Question seven. What is your current state of mind? Current state of mind. Current state of mind's pretty good. I'm sort of still decompressing from the last couple of years, you know, and just trying to, you know, relax and, uh, you know, do some breathing exercises and all that kind of stuff and slowly, you know, I've done a little bit of meditation and, um, you know, just, but, yeah, my, my current state of mind's it's pretty good. With the, with the success of the show, did, um, did that change you in any way? Success of the show changed me. Yeah, look, I, I think to some degree it, it, it erases some self-doubt a little bit, mm-hmm. which is something that, you know, I guess all people who are creative struggle with, you know, to some degree. Um, of course. You know, it's made me more confident, I suppose, in, in, in that area. Uh, it's probably the most important, most important thing, I suppose. Yeah. And what a journey! And would you would you act in everything that you're gonna that you write or or not? I don't know that I would. It just depends on if I think it was the right thing for me. Um, I mean, if I thought I could find somebody better for the part, then I'd definitely do that. So it just re- really depends on the project. I mean, the next thing I'm working on, I'll definitely do it because it's it'll be my wheelhouse, I guess. So 
Um, but yeah, you know. Scott's acting abilities always astonish me. I've seen actors take 30 years to get as comfortable in front of the camera as he is. But if you look at his IMDb, the first acting gig he's credited with is his film The Magician, and the second is Mr. In Between. And that's it. But I've been acting since since I was a kid, really. I mean, in life, uh, where it matters, you know what I mean? Whereas, you know, in real, you know, I was a, as I was a kid who was never comfortable in his own skin. Um, you know, low self-esteem, insecure. Uh, so I had to pretend, you know, I grew up in a class neighborhood. You couldn't be a sensitive kid. You couldn't show weakness. Uh, you had to look like you were relaxed even mm. when you weren't. Um, you know, it was a big bad world for me, you know, had a lot of anxiety as a kid. So I had to act every single day, you know, if I was out in any way at school, I was acting all the time. Every single day, so I'm probably one of the most experienced actors in the world. <laughs> That's brilliant. But but the thing is, and, and in real life too. I mean, you know, if you fuck it up in real life, you don't get another take. Yeah. You know, I feel that pressure. You know, as an actor, you know, because I'm used to acting in real life, I still feel that pressure when I'm acting for TV or whatever it is. I feel like I can't fuck this up. You know, I can't just, you know, and then sometimes I have to tell myself, no, it's okay, dude. You, yeah, you fucked it up, but it's okay. We'll do another one and another one and another one until you get it right. It's nice because you 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 also kind of set the tone for the piece. It's like um, like I've seen the people on Mr. In-Between or the actors on Mr. Mr. In-Between give their best performances because they're really being real, you know, because they know that's the tone of the piece and they can't, they can't bullshit in a way. <laughs> They're gonna look a bit. They're gonna look like a bit out of place. I think if they do, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not doing anything. So if they do something, it it's gonna look like they're doing something. Mm. No, hundred percent, mate. You really do set the level. It's great. Um, question eight is: What do you consider your greatest achievement? My greatest achievement. Oh God. Uh, I suppose my greatest achievement would be. I mean, by the time I was in my twenties, you know, I was pretty pretty messed up, dude you know, uh, in a lot of ways. And I think my greatest achievement would be, you know, turning myself into the person that I am now from the person that I was. Um, that's, that's, that's the greatest achievement. It was the hardest thing I ever did. Yeah. You know, to face who I was, who I really was, which is something not a lot of people want to do, you know. Mm. Um, you know, not living in denial anymore. This is who you are. Okay, this is who I am. Why am I what I am and how do I fix it? And spending, you know, a good uh, 15 years. I mean, I started meditating when I was about 17 years old, you know, because I, I had anxiety and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, then I had agoraphobia. I couldn't leave the house. So I used to go out to do the shopping once a week, you know, and that's it. I'd stay in the apartment, you know, for a year, basically that was. Um, so, you know, I've had depression, uh, I've had all sorts of stuff, all sorts of issues. Um, and I guess, you know, having those things, conquering them to some degree and then still, you know, and going on to do what I've done professionally, I mm. guess, um, you know, is, is something is something that I'm proud of. Yeah, mate. And so you should be. Because it's hard to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. It is, you know. People want to play the victim, you know. It's, oh, it's not me, it's them or, you know. But see, I'm a firm believer in karma. And I think that you get what you deserve in this life. You get you get what's coming to you. So 
be careful how you treat people um, because if you don't, uh, you know, that boomerang is going to come back and when it does, it's going to hit you and knock you on your ass. So It happens to me very quickly, by the way. If I do something wrong, <laughs> the no, karma I'm buzz the comes same. around very quickly. I am I'm completely the same. With other people, it doesn't. It doesn't hit them or, you know, not in this lifetime, maybe in another lifetime. But if I do something that's wrong and it can be a, a very small infraction against the karmic law, mate, I get my ass handed to me. <laughs> like I get bent over a table and bang, you know. Yeah. It's, you know, it's, it, it's, it's like I think if you're <laughs> calm and you're not aware of this thing out there, then you don't really pay for it as badly. But if you kind of know it's out there and you ignore it, I think that's when you pay for it. And I think you mm. must find a person that kind of knows that there's some, that there's this what goes around comes around kind of thing out there. Is Would that be right? 100%, mate. Yeah, well, there you go. See, there's your problem. Yeah. <laughs> See, if you're ignorant of it, you can just go, well, hey, I didn't know. I didn't know there was this karma. I didn't know this. I didn't. Sorry, but you know and you know better. So therefore, you've got to live right. Yeah, I think that makes perfect sense. My favourite question, who would you want on your side in a battle and why? Sun Tzu. He'd be good. Yeah. The art of war, mate. You go, hey, son, what's going on? What are we, we going to do? He'd be like, you know, straight away, this is what we're going to do. Okay, let's do it. You get the impression that Ray's read it. Well, possibly read it. And if he hasn't, he's just a natural, you know. Like he just, he just, he just knows. He knows what he knows, you know. <laughs> he's a, he's very cluey. The final question is: What would you like your last words to be? My last words to be. Um. My last words, you know, that's a that's a big thing, dude. Like, that's the like if you're as a writer, that's the most important thing you're ever gonna write. I mean, it depends who you're saying it to. Is it on your headstone? Is it like? That's right. I mean, do you have it? What would you like on your headstone? Probably nothing. Mm. Have to really, you know, give it some, you know, weeks of thought because I mean, that's it. You know, like that's on your headstone. That's how people are going to remember you. You know, what? Watch Mister In Between at three p.m. on uh, on Wednesdays. Yeah. Watch the fucking show. <laughs> Just watch the fucking show. We have ignition sequence start. Short distance, high impact. Five, four, three, two, all engines running. Ten questions with Adam Joir. Big names, great minds. Make yourself a cup of tea. Liftoff, we have liftoff. 